becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger straight around the corner. It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer of the ship being seen. Okay, you ready for this? Let's see if we can find a flow state. All right, cheers. Flow to the shores. To the shores. We come to the shores in search of ignorance after all. <laughs> totally. Uh, well, let me just ask you real quick. What okay. Are you, what are you excited about mm. nowadays? The first thing that came into my head was don't pause too long before answering. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what am I excited about these days? Uh, we kind of talked a little bit about it last week. I've, I've been really excited about writing lately. Um, I've been journaling a lot. And if you listen to last week's episode, we talked a lot about this sort of journey into the world of fountain pens that I've been in, um, which I met a mutual friend of ours who's <laughs> also in this world. And I was very jazzed, felt very nerdy. <laughs> that was awesome. But I feel like, um, you know, maybe we talked about this too, this sort of convergence and divergence. I feel like I'm in a period of divergence and I'm generating a lot of content and I don't know what it is or what to do with it, but I'm excited about doing something with it. I'm excited about, um, making something of it. Hmm. Are Are you in that with, uh, with music at all or just mostly? No, mostly thoughts and ideas. just thoughts and ideas, mm-hmm. music, has there's not been a lot of creative happenings around music in my life the last I don't know six months maybe yeah but I feel okay about that <clears throat> I I kind of feel like right now is not the season hmm. for me for music yeah do you think I, that, it will do, be do you think season. it's been like uh, as you've got grown older are you do you feel like uh, you're able to recognize things like that and not force them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think I see the broader arc of my life, you know, and I, I see that, oh, I've got a lot of years ahead of me. Mm. You know, you and I talk about this a lot, like really looking forward to our fifties. Mm. Yeah. I don't think that when you're in your twenties, you really think about your thirties, no. you know, Mm-mm. or even thirties, you don't really think about your forties. When you get a little bit older, you see a little further down the line and you think, well, and life's going to be very different. You know, my kids are going to grow up and they're going to leave the house and I'm going to have all this terrifying time to fill, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, but I sort of look at that more like, Oh, there's a lot of things that I want to do mm-hmm. with that time and hopefully have the money to do them and the health to do them. And so I definitely think there's another season coming for music, a second, a second season or second round. If I sort of think about my twenties and early thirties as, you know, I kind of made a run at it, made a few records, had a really good time, but I think there'll be a second round. Uh, is there anything that you're doing to prepare for your fifties? That's a good question. Hmm. Well, I think what we're doing here is preparing for our fifties. I think I'm trying to read a lot. I'm trying to write a lot. I'm trying to get good at the, get good at chasing down ideas and actually man, like making them real. Hmm. Whether that's writing and figure out how to edit and abstract that, condense it down into something that's digestible. Um, we're trying to read intentionally. Like I have a bunch of books that I know I should have read already hmm. and in my life Yeah, and trying to get better at that. Um, you know, like you've been reading Gulag Archipelago, Archipelago, Archipelago. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to try. Um, which I feel like is one of those books that for, I don't know, maybe three or four years since I first learned of what happened in the gulags in the Soviet Union, which is mind-blowing to me that I had never heard of that before. I don't know when I first learned that, but it must have been three or four years ago. You know, we teach, we teach the atrocities of Nazi Germany, and we don't teach the atrocities of the USSR or Mao's China. And I don't, my mind is still reeling from that fact. Yeah, I think they're almost actually worse than what happened with, I mean, not worse as in, morally, but worse as an impact and quantity way, like way worse, way worse. Uh-huh. I think there was 6 million 
killed in the Nazi concentration camps. I, I think, think six million Jews, but I think it's like 30 million, 30 million total total. Or something oh, okay. like that. Yeah. Well, I think the estimates are like 50, 50 to 80 million mm-hmm. in the USSR and something like a hundred million in Mao's China. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's by the time you get past 50 or just we're like shit tons of people. Right. Died. <laughs> um, but I, I I was like, okay, I need to know about that. Mm-hmm. I need to read this book, Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago. And I've had it for a while, but I haven't read it. So like, that's an example. That book is one that I know I need, I need to absorb that content. Mm. Um, so I'm trying to work on that to prepare. Yeah. Um, trying to stay healthy. I've been, I think you and I have both been over the past couple of years, pretty good about, um, and really interested in like legitimately interested in our health. Mm. So working out, doing yoga, push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and then doing a lot of like cold exposure mm. and breathing and breathing. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. The breathing thing's just been like, I know it just, when I do that in the morning, like I'll do it when I'm walking up to the coffee shop early and just that little bit that I do right there, I, I can, I feel the effects of that, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> Not to mention whenever I come back home and, and do my stretching and breathing like mm-hmm. more intensely, it's just such a, just weird how there's a certain idea of like, you kind of have to prepare yourself. And if you don't take time to prepare yourself mm. for your day or, um, you know, for your fifties, it's, it's, you kind of don't, you don't really reach the potential that you could have. Yeah. Like if you would have taken like 30 to 45 minutes just to prepare yourself. Right. Uh, seems Chance like there's so much more. Than prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just, there's such a, uh, a wisdom there. I think that I wish I would have had earlier. <laughs> in life. Something I was doing for a long time and two nights ago had some, had a thought about this. Um, cause I stopped doing it, but really, so I started this job that I'm in right now in November of last year. Mm-hmm. And, you and I were having some some similar com- conversations about preparing for things. And you had asked me, um, you know, how am I preparing for this new job? And at that time, my answer was, well, I'm every night I'm free writing on my, usually I do that on my iPad, just type like write for 10 minutes straight without stopping. Mm-hmm. Don't let your fingers stop. You know, if you don't know what to say, you just start typing. I don't know what to say. And here's how I feel about not knowing what to say, you know, mm-hmm. and your mind will get back into it. And, and then I was every morning waking up and immediately journaling for 15 minutes. Hmm. A lot of times I would capture dreams. Um, but then one thing that I did was during that 15 minutes of journaling, try to set an intention, hmm. which if you had suggested to me eight years ago, <laughs> you should set an intention. I'd just be like, all right, woo woo, bull crap, whatever, you know, but <clears throat> So I would, <coughs> you know, a lot of times I, I would try to be as genuine about it as I could. Like, what, what am I feeling? What am I hoping for? What do I want to concentrate on today? <clears throat> and usually I would derive some sort of word or sentence that described that. Hmm. But it was interesting because I, was, I did that for about six months. First thing in the morning, every morning I would journal. And I, I fell off, I fell out of that habit and I'd like to bring it back because when you, I think when you set an intention, it's almost like it's giving you a frame with which to see the world. Hmm. You know, if you just sort of, I don't know, <clears throat> show up at a random store. Mm-hmm. It's like, show up at Costco. What do you see? I, I don't know, stuff. You know, but if you say, you need to go buy food for the next three days. It's like you, it automatically sorts it. it, Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you set off about your day, it's like you're showing up into a day is like showing up at a store in some, some way you show up into your day. Where's the day going? Well, you kind of know, it's like, well, I got to go take the kids to school and then I got to go to work and then pick them up and we've got to eat. And it's like, you have these things, you know, but like, what about the content of the day? Hmm. What are you up against? What are you facing? what would constitute a successful day? Um, and I think when you set an intention, it gives you a way to see the things that are coming towards you. Interesting. Um, but you can almost kind of understand, you know, in a lot of cultures, 
you know, whether it be Islam, Judaism, Christianity, it's sort of like morning prayer. Like you, yeah. you set your heart right with God first. And so that's how you frame your day is you aim high. And so the rest of your day is sort of in context to aiming at something yeah. that is greater than yourself. And so I think there's something adds aspects of that when you were talking about it that made a lot of sense why sort of those religious ceremonies or actions are super helpful for orienting yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? <clears throat> yeah. Cause if you don't then you're just, you're just going through the motions of the things you have to do because we all have things we have to do. Right. And then I like, I like that idea of framing your day or would you say intentions or yeah. Setting intentions, setting intentions. Yeah. What is my intention today? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, things you have to do, but how will you do them? That's mm-hmm. sort of the more important question. You can go perform a task, but if you do it with a bad attitude, you know, it almost, it might be better if you just don't do it at all. <laughs> you know, you can really poison things. Mm-hmm. Even if your task is productive, Yeah, it can set things off in a wrong, in the wrong direction. But if you even, but if you have a task that's even bullshit or, or busy work or seemingly meaningless, but you say, you know, my intention today is to be grateful for those around me. Oh. And then you go do the menial bullshit task. That thing can be transformed into something that hmm. changes the direction of things in a positive way. Yeah. It almost even just opens your eyes to those around you. Right. Like, you know, the person checking you out at Costco is like, Oh, Hey, thank you for being here and right. doing this. Like, mm-hmm. or the, the person that, you know, is walking down the aisle and you see them with their kids and, and maybe they're having a hard time and you're like, Hey, it's going to be okay. You know, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it might be. Cause that's, I know that's one thing when I'm uh, when I'm flying, if I see a mom or a dad, that's had a, had a, have a, has a kid that's, they're just having a tough time. I was like, Hey, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. I really make it a point to say something to them because like, I remember how I felt like it was, you know, I'm the kid, I'm the guy with the kid who's making all these other people miserable or the person's going, Oh no, I got to sit by that person. <laughs> you know, as well, I just, I just feel like it's like something that it's just good to hear as a parent. Like you see me. <laughs> well, and the precursor to that is actually seeing them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And sometimes we don't see people, No, you know, we might, God, yeah, I we might that. perceive them with our visual cortex, but we don't see them, mm-hmm. you know, that actually takes some effort that actually takes paying attention. Yeah. Looking people in the eyes, not turning away. Mm-hmm. You know, I can at times get very introspective and a bit melancholy and withdraw within myself, especially in a traveling scenario. Like mm-hmm. you're talking about being on a plane. It's like, I love flying. I too. <laughs> and one of the things I love about it is sort of like, I'm, I'm removed from everything mm-hmm. and I can just be in my chair and it's super uncomfortable, you know, and like, but I don't care. I just want to look out the window and think. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to say, well, no, actually like pay attention to mm-hmm. the other people in this tube with you and feel what they're feeling, see what their faces are communicating to you. Mm. I always love to play a game when I'm on a plane. I like to kind of, check out everyone around, you know, and just kind of, just kind of make up stories. (laughs) You know, it's like, you don't know if you're right or wrong, but you know, you pick up on clues and stuff like that. You kind of put pieces together, you know, you, you Sherlock Holmes it and, and come up with a story, you know, or at airports, like, you know, see all these random people walking by and you just kind of imagine their lives and, and think about like what got them here, where are they going? You know, is this something that is a happy trip, business trip, sad trip? Mm-hmm. What, what is it that what's taking them somewhere? Like they're, they have made an effort to buy a ticket to do something like out of their normal life, take time off from their work, you know? And oh, so, that's pretty profound. It's like when you're on a plane, everyone is traveling, mm-hmm. like traveling, <laughs> going somewhere, mm-hmm. at least for that moment, their life is going somewhere. Yeah. They, they have movement. They have a a place that they are leaving and a place that they are going to mm-hmm. didn't sound very profound when I said it, but it hit me as very <laughs> profound because so much, so often 
I think we all get to points where we feel in our life like we're somewhat stagnant, you know, we're just mm-hmm. kind of going through the motions, doing the same things, and it's it can feel very meaningless. It's like getting up again, going to this job again, going to this restaurant again, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> watching this show again, sitting mm-hmm. in this chair again, cleaning these dishes again. You know, it feels like there's no movement. Oh, but it feels so comforting. <laughs> you're like, I love it. <laughs> but at least in that time when you're on a plane, everyone is on some kind of adventure. Mm-hmm. Everyone's out of their comfort zone. It's pretty cool. Except for maybe the hardcore business person that's always traveling. Mm, you know? Yeah. I mean, for them, it's like, again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's super interesting. Because, I mean, there's a, a, that aspect of, you know, what are you preparing yourself for? Because uh, there's that, also that part of being able to live in the moment or, uh, you know, appreciate the, pre- you know, the present situation. You know, I think those are, I think the being present is more of a gift because I think we spend it all and we should be spending more of our time on where are we going? I don't know if that's true or not, but that restate that you think, I think being present in in the moment is a gift. Yeah. But I think we should be spending most of our time thinking about where we are going. So (laughs) this is a complaint that has been leveled at me by more than one woman in my life <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> that I'm not present. Uh-huh. And I've always struggled with that. The idea of, of presence, like you should be present. Should I, or should I be thinking about the problems that are confronting us that we should solve or thinking mm-hmm. about the hopes that we're reaching for and how we might achieve them or, you know, the goals that we've set. I I don't know what uh, clearly you need to be present. Mm-hmm. But to me, it doesn't seem like it's any more useful than not being present. But I don't. I also don't know what not being present means. Besides being sort of despondent and like totally turned off and zoned out, mm-hmm. which I almost never am. Yeah. Um. I don't know that I ever am. <laughs> totally. Actually. Well, I think that's the hard thing. Is you know, it's almost maybe it has to be reinterpreted. Like, what are you? What are you wanting? Or what do you mean when you say you're not present? Yeah. And I think a lot of times, especially maybe with, you know, women specifically, if, if, and then that's a woman might say this to a guy or a guy might say this to a woman, you're not present. So I'm just speaking from our point of view. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, it's really like pay attention to me. Yeah. I think that's really what's being said. And pay attention to me or pay attention to the things that are bothering me right now mm -hmm. and alleviate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be here now. And I mean, I, I, I think I definitely err on the other side of that more future oriented mm-hmm. and, and thinking about what could be or what's possible. Yeah. To me, that's, that's more exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like being future oriented is being oriented in a place where there's more than there is now. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why would you, orient yourself that way. But I do get it. Cause you know, of my, my daughter's graduating this year mm. and I have had a, a few moments of, of where you've kind of taken for granted that she's there. Yeah. And <clears throat> so it's kind of hit me this year a little bit, bit by bit, because she's also, even though she's been able to drive for a while, she's driving more and going, doing things with her friends. Yeah. And just kind of noticing her absence more. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, she's, she might at some point only be coming home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. Right. Like I do. <laughs> right. Yeah, and then that, that's something like I, I could see like how valuable it is to be present because there's some things you'll never, you'll never experience again. I'll never experience her living in my home yeah. in the way that she's living in it now. You know, obviously, you know, maybe she lives with us for another three or four years, but at that point, or should I don't have, I shouldn't have as much authority in her life, you know, as I do now as she's under our roof technically. Yeah. Know? Right. So there's some of that too. I see. And I think that no matter what you do in that area, you're going to, you, you, even if you are a very present person, you could see how you could have been more present, you know, that right. makes sense. Totally. Well, I think we're, we're sort of always, mourning that we can't be more present Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And always mourning that we can't be more prepared. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like you, you and I have been talking about so much stuff over the last, I mean, 10 years that we've known each other, but specifically last three or four years that I think have opened our eyes to so many things. Like, why didn't I know that? Right. This seems so fundamental to life. And, and just now I'm well, me in my forties and like your forties too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just being like, welcome. I'm here. You're here. You've made it. Uh, so it's, it's, it's something that, cause that's something I'm talking to my kids about right now is, you know, in your twenties, like I want to encourage them to go out and take risks, you know, and like to prepare, like, what do you, what do you want your thirties to look like? What do you want your forties to look like? I think our 20 year olds are not, um, are not prepared for that. It's sort of, you know, do what you want, do what you love. Right. Okay. If you do that enough at some point, you've got to do something that's more or future, future oriented, you know, and some of that's hard work and preparation and, and challenge. And, you know, it's things that maybe not are, are not as much fun, but you're going to prepare your 30 year old self hmm. for something that is their 30 year old self is going to say, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason that reminds me of the, um, hurricane Katrina thing. Hmm. Katrina was the one in 06, right? Mm-hmm. Where like New Orleans got absolutely demolished. Yeah. Yeah. I was listening to somebody talk about that later and they were talking about, <clears throat> I guess like somewhere in the Netherlands, they had huge dikes that were protecting the community. And when they built the dikes, well, so in, in New Orleans, they built the dikes around New Orleans um, to withstand a hundred year weather event, mm-hmm. meaning like the worst weather event that you can imagine in a hundred years. And you might think like, that's really good. Um, in the Netherlands, when they built the dikes, they built them for a thousand year weather event. Hmm. And the problem with <clears throat> building for a hundred year weather event is well, a hundred years is going to come and pass. And the likelihood that those dikes are going to break is a hundred percent. Um, the problem with sort of being here present, I just want to feel good now is that something is going to come along Mm. and destroy that. Mm. So you have to be prepared in order to have the security enough to actually enjoy the here and now. I mean, I think that's you, that's something we, you and I have been talking about a lot financially right now is that, you know, we're kind of heading into a recession or are in a recession and depending on what you're listening to is like how bad it could actually be, you know, and I'm listening to a lot of these older people that have gone through you know, multiple recessions or different economies and they're, they're prepared for it. Like they're sitting on cash because they know that, you know, there's a, you know, when the worst comes, it's like, that's whenever, that's whenever you start, that's when you buy. And Mm -hmm. and that's, well, they have a concept of what the worst, Mm -hmm. when, when the worst comes, they have a concept of what that means. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you, if you're 20 years old, you know, you have no concept of that. If you're 20 years old right now in America, it's like 2008 was kind of bad. Mm-hmm. You were six years old. No concept of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't even have a concept of 9-11. That's history to you. Yeah. You know, so you don't know what the worst is. The worst is. <laughs> but if, but once you get a taste of it, then then you think, okay, well, maybe I was prepared for you know, a, a, a one year storm hmm. or a 10 year storm. And then I got demolished and it's like, okay, I want to be more prepared next time. Mm-hmm. Well, how much more prepared do you want to be? And how much effort are you going to put into that? Are you going to risk, are you going to put a bunch of time and effort into protecting yourself from a once in a hundred year event or once in a thousand year event? Is that justified? Mm-hmm. Will it ever be used by you or your children? Yeah. And you, you don't really know the answer to that actually until you go through it, I think, mm-hmm. because you might say, well, I prepare for the once in a hundred event and that event came and it totally took us out. 
we can't sustain that again. Mm-hmm. So now we got to put more energy into that preparation. Totally. It makes us so, so much sense. Like, you know, even growing up, there was this idea that you put, you know, three months, six months or a year of your wages aside mm-hmm. for like, you know, if something, if you go through something, right. So I always heard that, but I think that was lost in, I don't know for me anyways, I don't, I never even, I never even accomplished that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, but it makes because we haven't really experienced something that, you know, 2008 was, was bad, but it also got propped up by our, you know, you know, the fed and, and low interest rates. And we kind of recovered from that and we really, it didn't really wipe out the things that needed to wipe out. Right. That should have, that kind of should have happened. And so we've kind of been sitting on this, a lot of we're we're in a lot of debt just personally um as a as a as a people and and when you're in a lot of debt when when a storm comes you know that's when you get that's when you get wiped out because the leverage and the interest rates start to kind of creep up on you and eat away at all that um all that you've sort of built mm-hmm. and it's because it's sort of like building your house on sand versus building it on a rock and it's great because you and I know this. <laughs> when things are flowing, you're like, "Yeah, this could never go away or go wrong." Right. And then you're like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> you know, I think I feel like I've learned that lesson a few times. I still haven't really learned it. Yeah, I feel a little bit more wiser. I hesitate to use that word, but just seeing that I need to be a little bit more conservative in the way that I move into the future and yeah. how I invest my time and my money, what I do with our business. Hmm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a high risk taker in general and I need to be able to mitigate that risk with some, with some safety and some certainty. Yeah. Well, I want to go back to <clears throat> what you were saying about the, the sort of older wisdom was you should have three to six months of, of your living expenses in Mm -hmm. in savings. You know, let's say for the average family of five, that's somewhere between 15 and Mm $30,000. So let's just say, let's go with the high end $30,000. So you, you put $30,000 away into your savings account, you know, but otherwise you're kind of living paycheck to paycheck. Things are fairly tight. Mm -hmm. You know, how many years of, nothing really bad happening. Everything's kind of going according to the status quo in your life. Does it take before you start looking at that $30,000 and you're like, we could be doing something with that. Yeah. You know, Uh it's like the longer things go well or that they don't go bad, the, the more important it is that we lean on the wisdom, which makes less and less sense Mm -hmm. because if you go take that $30,000 and you think, well, I'm going to put it in Bitcoin. This is fun and exciting and it might make <laughs> us a bunch of money. And then Bitcoin crashes mm-hmm. and then something bad happens. Well, now you weren't any more prepared for the bad thing than, than the thing that happened that generated the wisdom in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, so you were no mm-hmm. more protected. Yeah. But I just kind of wanted to meditate on that for a second, that the longer, the wisdom isn't needed. The more important it is to t- pay attention to it because if you stop paying attention to it, you're going to get wiped out. Yeah. It, it's interesting. There's a, I mean, obviously there's always a sort of clickbait type stuff, but there was a, this person that was complaining about having to work eight hours in a day. The Starbucks employee. Yeah. Yeah. I and it was just, it I mean, was, that was an astounding clip. Yeah. And it's just like, it, 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 we just don't understand how we kind of expect to be taken care of. And I, and you know, it's in some degree, I have the same desire or want to, to be taken care of, but it's, it's unrealistic that there's a certain aspect that you have to, you have to take steps in order to prepare for your future. And if you don't, there's consequences because at the, on the other side of that is you're asking somebody else to do that for you. And then you're trusting that this person or this, this government or whatever it is has your best interest in mind. Yeah. 
And, you know, we know that our government doesn't because we just keep spending and spending money that we don't have. You know, we're, we're doing things that are <clears throat> outside of, and then we think of like a, you know, you think of bureaucracy was the most inefficient, you know, uh, organization, organization on the planet. On the planet is a bureaucracy and, and the government uh, and the government. And part of that is, <clears throat> is, is, is okay. You know, and, and, but that's not something you should, you should trust your, your future. And, you know, it, you know, social security has always been kind of a big question for, right. For, uh, you know, the last 20 years or so, maybe longer. And will that continue on? I mean, it's a huge part of our, I used to know the number of that, of like how much money we take in in taxes goes to social security is some insane amount of money. (laughs) Did you see the white house tweeted, that the social security checks that were going out this month were the largest increase in social security checks that had, there had been in something like three decades. Oh, wow. And then immediately everybody pointed out that that was because of inflation because <laughs> the checks are calculated based upon your earned income, mm-hmm. you know, in the past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the white house deleted the tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've lot, we've, we seriously have lot. I mean, again, I, I feel like I'm a, I'm a, a victim and a perpetuator of this, of, of all that we're talking about right now. And I would love, I would like to change that. I would like to change that with my kids. Like, uh, so, uh, my dad died last year and there was an account that had $2,500 in it, uh, that my parents kind of forgot about, (laughs) but it was for our kids. And so my mom let me take that, take that account. And so I basically gave each of our kids $500 to invest in. And it's like, so you, you have to pay it back. You know, it's a loan, Hmm. obviously no interest. And so Austin had this proposal for me and kind of felt like a win for a dad for me. (laughs) What was it? So like, so he's in the airsoft right now. And so I had, he told me his idea, but I was like, okay, you got to write it out to me and show me how it's going to work. And so very rudimentary, but it was actually still pretty cool. He's like, basically, okay, it's $236 for the, for the bullets, for the airsoft and for this new battery. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, he and a bunch of friends get together and, uh, do the airsoft. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to rent it out to somebody for $15 each time. And so it's going to take me probably about six months to return my investment and then $15 on top of it. So then hmm, he and I started, started talking about like, you know, you know, how could this go wrong? How could, you know, so we started discussing all the different things and it was really fun because he was, he actually like, you know, kind of was really into it. And I was like, this is a really good idea, dude. Nice. Like, this is really fun. So, um, but again, I think that's, I think that's just something that, uh, you know, I think I grew up with it. My, my dad was a, a, a dentist and an entrepreneur in that sense, you know, and, and kind of learned a lot about what that looks like. So I think we kind of saw, saw some of that and kind of grew up with that. Cause like when I was little, we didn't have a lot of money. And then as, as I got older, we were kind of like upper middle class mm-hmm. type of thing. Um, but just how like <laughs> my dad also said he lost a lot of money on stupid ass shit. <laughs> like he did some oil things that were just like, you know, <laughs> not good. Dang. But again, it's like, I think that's, you also have to make those mistakes, but if you're not willing to go out there and take those risks and in order to like look and invest in your future, then I think it's, I think it's hard to, yeah. I don't know where I was going with all that, but yeah. I mean, I, I don't either, but a thought that I had is, you know, a question about opportunity, you know, the more opportunity you have, the more likely it is that you're going to lose big hmm. and, and also the more opportunity that you're going to win big, but losing and winning both take preparation. Yeah. And so it's almost like, like we talk a lot about opportunity, like opportunity should be increased. Hmm. for everyone. And I think that's, that's true, but there is a, there is something of a devastating side of that, which is, well, if I give you more opportunity, I increase your risk of losing as much as I increase your risk, risk Uh, of winning. And I increase the consequences of both mm -hmm. and losing big can have devastating ramifications, but so can winning big, Mm -hmm. you know, like you see this a lot with, if you want to take fame, like childhood stars, it, 
destroys most of them. Mm-hmm. Like it's very few childhood uh, celebrities make it out of their childhood without having some sort of incredible breakdown mm-hmm. and generally disappearing for some number of years. Um, similar with lottery winners mm-hmm. tends to ruin people's lives. <laughs> I think I sent you this today. I saw, I don't know where it was. It might not have even been, been in this country, but this guy won like $30 million at the lottery and he showed up to get his check wearing a, a mascot costume. Cause he didn't, and he said, I don't want my wife and kids to know that I won this cause I don't want them to get weak and lazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. I love it. It's pretty funny, but most lot winning the lottery tends to statistically ruin people's lives. Mm-hmm. So both can be dangerous. And the more you increase opportunity, the more you increase exposure to that danger. And so you want increased opportunity, but you also need to pair that with increased preparation. Mm. You need to be prepared. You need to be resilient. You need wisdom. You need goals yeah. through which to see those things. Like you can sustain a loss of a game of basketball if your goal is to win the series or what do they call it? That's NBA baseball. Finals, yeah. yeah. The finals <laughs> championships, <laughs> sports ball. Um, you can sustain a loss because your, your site is on something bigger. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's just that one game, it might be hard to sustain that loss. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that in baseball specifically, <clears throat> they play so many games. It's, it's sort of like you have to like have the long view mm-hmm. with baseball specifically. Uh, which I know nothing about, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's just, when you, when you talk about it that way, the whole idea of, you know, increased opportunity also has increased sort of responsibility and risk. Yeah. Which is interesting. I was trying to think about the alternative to that is that, well, that's too dangerous. So we'll just kind of make everybody the same and take away that, that, that responsibility and that risk because it disadvantages people that don't win or don't handle it well, handle it well. Yeah. And so we want to protect people from that. Well, first of all, you got to first ask <laughs> who's the we that's doing the protecting. <laughs> Cause that's kind of scary in general, but you know, like what kind of, what kind of world do we want to live in that takes away that risk and responsibility and opportunity for failure and success it seems like that you start to kind of kind of move into that sort of Orwellian where it's dehumanizing, dehumanizing because we all, we all have sort of dreams and wants and desires. And that it's just, it's at different levels for different people. I was thinking about that earlier when you were talking about wanting to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, back to the, um, thought experiment of, of savings and you have $30,000 in the bank, you know, and, and so maybe you lo- you go lose it all and you're walloped, but maybe you don't, maybe you're a little wiser and you think, well, that money's been sitting there safe for a long time. What if I take a 10% risk on it? I might lose oh, 10%, mm-hmm. but I might make 10%. Mm-hmm. Okay. You monkey around with that. And you, maybe you increase your $30,000. Mm. Maybe you lose some a couple times, you get smarter you increase it, you're able to grow it to $40,000. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> well, if you're the one being taken care of, then the person who's taking care of you is responsible for the main maintenance of that savings and the risk and the reward of it. Hmm. So to the extent that you submit yourself to be being taken care of, you also opt out of this is a bit of a leap, but I think it makes sense. You opt out of the creative generation of new things Hmm. because you don't, you don't get to protect yourself, which means you don't have access to the, the funds. And so you can't do anything with them. You can't make anything with them. You just kind of have to accept your protection. Mm -hmm. And whatever is deemed to what you actually need. Right. Like I think that's the part is like when you hand over that responsibility right. and that risk risk, you also hand over the determination of what you need. Right. 
because then that person who is holding the risk and the opportunity is going to determine what you need because they, they are, they have the risk and responsibility of those funds and therefore what are they comfortable with you having? You have to submit to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like you saying to your kids, like I'm going to give you this loan, Mm -hmm. but you have to satisfy me with a proposal. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to win, win my approval yeah. with how you're going to spend the funds. Mm-hmm. You're, you have to submit to my approval. Which is and interesting. Like that, When you start any business, you, you, that, that is kind of the case. You go to a loan. If you're going to raise money. Yeah. yeah. Or you're going to investors. It's sort of like, you know, hey, here's my idea. And you have to present them with something. Right. And you're beholden to them because they're your investor, your bank. Right. And then at some point... A goal is maybe to become where you don't have to be beholden to that organization and you can, and you can be, you can kind of be outside of that sort of constraints and that you have the responsibility and you're taking the risk on yourself. Well, there's also, there's also just such a great thing about doing that with other people too, like sharing risk. You know, when Mm. you, when you go to a business with somebody, it's like you share the risk with people. So it's not as detrimental if it fails. Like if I was responsible for a million dollars and it was, I was a hundred percent versus like I was only responsible for $250,000 and I'm 25%. (laughs) Well, even just the solidarity Mm -hmm. of loss, it's like, yeah, it's much easier for you to take a big, a million dollar loss when it's like, well, we lost this (laughs) than I lost this. Uh, Totally. Yeah. You know, but I think the, the sort of wonderful thing about humans is we can take energy. You know, we wake up in the morning with energy Mm. and we take that energy and we do something with it and we make new things. Mm. We progress technology and culture and philosophy. And that's an amazing, incredible thing. Mm. And to adopt a position of, I want to be taken care of. I want to be protected is, is to in some way opt out of that sort of like divine human capacity to do things Mm. because you have to expose yourself to risk to do things, you know, it's like step outside the door of your house. You're exposing yourself to risk. Mm. <clears throat> Scale that up to, I'm going to give a million dollars to this startup. It's like, that's a big risk. Nine out of 10 startups fail. Mm-hmm. Um, but with belief and wisdom, new things can be created. We can go from figuring out how to fly to what 58 years later landing on the moon Mm-hmm. You know, amazing things can be accomplished. Or to where Elon, I think he sent 50 flights, 50 flights this year with a oh, satellite, wow. with his uh, rocket. SpaceX. Yeah, SpaceX. Yeah. It's like, it's, that that still baffles me why this is not like front page news on the, how monumental this is. Going from the U.S. being basically out of, out of space altogether. Yeah to Elon Musk putting 50 flights into space. (laughs) What kind of blows me away is how he managed to become, uh, like anti-establishment somehow. Like Mm -hmm. the left hates him right now for Mm -hmm. buying Twitter, which kind of blows my mind. Yeah. I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, I kind of do, I think I can get there, but, um, also another thing, to extract from that statement, I said, as I'm, I am equating the left with the establishment yeah, and, I'm, and I'm doing that on purpose, mm-hmm. um, which is another sort of idea, well, or reality that I think a lot of people already knew, but it's been coming into sharper focus for me recently, which is, it's like academia, media, uh, Hollywood, mm-hmm it's all like the left owns the institutions. The left is the establishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, tech I forgot to add tech left owns tech too. And so Elon, who is not right. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, right. How do you say that? 
far right. He's not a Republican. Not I mean, Republican. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's not the left either. Mm-hmm. Buying Twitter is like a, it's an assault <laughs> to the establishment and they hate it. Which is really kind of wild. Cause I feel like growing up, it was like the right was the establishment like in the eighties and maybe nineties. Like, I did feel more that way. I mean, probably in the nineties, like probably the Democrat and Republicans were the most similar, I believe, or kind of felt that way. And then probably in the two thousands, it feels like they've kind of flip flopped, you know, it's like where yeah. you had the religious right in the eighties and now you have sort of like the religious, the religious left. left. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of interesting to kind of watch that. I mean, I've only been alive 44 years, but just even, that has kind of baffled me. The things that I were growing up, what Democrats I thought stood for versus what I thought Republicans stood for. Too. Right. Like I think in college and stuff, I was kind of definitely more left leaning, you know? And, and then, uh, cause I was like early two thousands, late nineties. And then, you know, I, I guess I kind of flip flop on that like center line. So I, I can't really say that, but I would say I was more sympathetic to the left, uh, more democratic side in college and, and outside of college. But now I feel like the, the left kind of just more resembles the religious right in the eighties. Right. So. Like very fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I'm just trying to figure out if there's an overarching, arching point there hmm. but well, I think with your what you're talking about with, with uh, Elon specifically that you know I think there's something with him that has been kind of baffling because he is sort of like an eccentric very like I would I, I usually associate eccentricity with sort of left leaning and He's, he's kind of a wild character and he is, I would, I would almost imagine like he would fit so much better in, <laughs> in, the, in the left, in the left. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of interesting things with, with where this is kind of going. Well, some, I think I was listening to somebody who was kind of talking about him buying Twitter and they said something like, you know, he has enough money now. He's the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. He has enough money that he can go actually spend time. Like he can take the risk. He can take a $44 billion risk in buying Twitter so that he can spend time on more interesting things than money. Mm. You know, so he can spend time on free speech, for example, or cens- like censorship and all mm. of the things that have been going on with that. It's like, that is more interesting than money, but you have to have, a certain amount of money to pay attention to abstract philosophical concepts. True. You have to have enough protection and security such that you can spend your time thinking about such things. Um, and then you have to have a whole nother amount of money to like buy your way into authority (laughs) on those things, you know, which is basically what he did. He's like, I own the rules now here. Mm -hmm. Hit me. Hit. Um, yeah, but I want to try to go back to this idea of just like the creative um what is it? The creative nature of generating new things. Hmm. Like there was a, a conversation I was having with somebody a long time ago. I think it was sort of centered around like Bernie Sanders and universal basic income and communism and like being rich is immoral and things like that. And I, I thought I had an insight into sort of, um, that sort of thinking, which is that I think that sort of thinking assumes that, that the economy and human productivity is zero sum, Hmm. but it's not, there's always new things being created. We are constantly, sort of expanding the economy. We're constantly expanding productivity. We're constantly, um, creating net new things. And in order to do that, and so back to the idea that I think that that is one of the, it's like the, the divine gift of human consciousness is that we can do that. 
Um, and to the extent that we try to make things fair mm-hmm. and or, you know, back to our conversation about opportunity, you try to level playing fields. We can't let people have too much risk or, or too little, too much opportunity or too little because we want people to be protected and safe. And it's like, yes, that's true. People should be protected and safe because you have to, like, like we just said, you have to be protected enough such that you can sort of engage in these, hmm. um, well, sort of like luxury thought processes. But if they're, if you're too protected, then you don't have access to the energy essentially to create new things. And you, you are prevented from engaging in that gift of your own consciousness. What's well, that? That's almost kind of what government is should, should be a sort of like, let me give everyone a sort of a baseline and not too high. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta be a fairly low because it's gotta be low enough that it still incentivizes people to, go beyond like it should like that, that low level should be uncomfortable and, and there, therefore it's like you're wanting something else, something more, you know, if, if, you know, we were just talking about this, uh, uh, over dinner, like, you know, uh, a friend of ours, uh, has made this statement about how CEOs, good CEOs usually have some sort of Asperger's and a, and a childhood problem. <laughs> parents that didn't like them, didn't like them or something. Yeah. You know, it's like, and there was like, it, it, it drove them to, to do big things. And it seems like there has to be some sort of, you have to have some, some uncomfortableness in order for you to realize this is uncomfortable and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. I want to achieve something more than this because if you're comfortable, you don't really, you don't, you don't see that there is more. It's sort mm. of like, no, I'm, I'm okay with where I'm at. I'm good. Oh, that's interesting. If you are uncomfortable, you tend to be creative. If you are comfortable, you tend to be destructive. Mm. I mean, we have the, our ability to, to make things, our ability to create things, which is our ability to change things can be perverted into the its opposite, which is destruction. And that's captured in that. <laughs> I never can remember if this Dostoevsky or Frederick Buechner, but one of them said something like, if, if mankind had nothing to do but eat and drink and busy himself with the propagation hmm. of the species, he would immediately start breaking things just so something interesting would happen. Yeah. It was like the, the if you maximize for comfort that change energy that we have can only go to destroying things. Hmm. Whereas if you are uncomfortable, you tend to be creative about solving that and you tend to improve things. Mm -hmm. And that isn't to say that people should be made unduly uncomfortable, but it is to say that they shouldn't be made unduly comfortable. Mm -hmm. Cause it's such a subjective thing. It's like, what does it mean to be comfortable? What does it mean to be secure? And I think that's the hard thing for us to understand today because we all in the West and in the U S specifically are fairly comfortable compared to the world at large. Right. And that's hard for us to see because like when you compare yourself with your neighbor, you're like, Oh, well they're so much more comfortable than me. They have a swimming pool, (laughs) you know, like we're comparing it to a swimming pool rather than like, wow, they eat two meals a day. We eat one meal a day. You know, it's like, it, 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 it's like your, 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 uh, um, your scale is way off. Well, it makes me think of the, the 2020 narrative of black people being hunted down in the streets. Mm. I think, well, let's forget about the racism for thing for a second that, that people would be hunted down in the streets. Mm. It's like, sorry, no, that isn't something that happens here. Mm -hmm. That is something that happens other places. Yeah. You know? Like in Afghanistan, they will stone women or Iran for not wearing a, a hijab. You yeah. Know? It's like, yeah, it's, that just happened last mm-hmm. two weeks ago. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, that's a thing that happens. You don't have to be worried about that here, mm-hmm. but we're, it's almost like we're so comfortable. We have to invent it mm. because it's maybe we've grown too comfortable. Yeah. And, and we have entered in the last several years into more of a destructive bent 
than a creative and innovative bent. Which is interesting. Like, you know, you hear of most people that have come out of poverty and, and done something. It's, it's usually like with this idea of nobody's going to give you anything. Like you have to go out there and earn it and you have to like work for it. Um, like I always, you know, there's always these stories of grandpas or dads or moms or something like that, that it's this encouraging thing. That's like, no, it's going to be hard. Like they're not trying to pamper it or, or put some like, you know, fluffy clouds on it. Like just be you, you're good enough. It's like, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, what's that scene in Braveheart at the beginning when he's a kid and he's picked up by his uncle, mm-hmm. his uncle picks him up and is like, we're going. He's like, I don't want to go. And he goes, well, you didn't want your dad to die either. <laughs> did you? <laughs> it's just like, he's confronted with this dose of yeah. life's hard. Mm-hmm quit your whining and let's go. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that, a, that scene always gives me chills. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I want that. Mm-hmm. Like I want, I don't want to be coddled. I want to be strong and to be strong. You have to have something to resist to some, some problem that you're solving. But well, otherwise what's the point of being strong? Well, see, the thing is I, I totally agree with you about like, what would you say to someone saying that you're being insensitive to who? Well, to like people don't have as much as you, you know, you're, 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 you, you live in uh, a nice house and uh, you have a good job and it's like, you don't have to worry about things, you know, it's like, so you're just being, you're being insensitive to those who maybe don't have the privileges that you have by quoting Braveheart. <laughs> No, for even having that attitude is sort of like, you of know, saying I want to be strong. Yeah. And like life is hard and, yeah. and it's like, well, it's easy for you to say that in your comfort of your house, you know, but for people who maybe don't have those, those privileges that, well, I guess I would say, well, don't you need that principle then even more than I do? Hmm. Well, I think also you're asking you're asking, okay, who, who's going to come take care of you? Do you trust that person? Right. It's like, what, what is it that you want from them? What is it they want from you? Yeah. Because everybody wants something. Maybe, I don't know. And well, power corrupts. You're going to put somebody in the position to be responsible for you, to care for you. Mm Mm-hmm. You're going to give them power over your life. What happens when they become corrupt? Which we've seen like in so many instances, as far as people pretending to be saviors and they actually end up being (laughs) vampires. Yeah. Right. (laughs) What isn't easy to tell even Mm. for the person themselves, which one they are. Oh, totally. I mean, even as a business, like, you know, which I'm very fortunate to have, not maybe fallen into these different sort of traps, but it's like as a, you know, struggling business owner early, early on is sort of like, I was always looking for a savior (laughs) to come along, you know? And, you know, and, you know, some people want to help you, but it's like, it's at at a high, high cost. Right. And it's only, it's a temporary relief. And, Hmm. You know, it's something that I kind of learned was like, no, it's better for me to go through this temporary struggle to achieve the thing on the other side of that. Yeah, right. Well, it reminds me of the the book, Great Expectations. Hmm. Do you ever read it? I don't think I have, actually. Is it Charles Dickens? I think it is. <clears throat> There's a really great movie with uh, Ethan Hawke and um, Gwyneth Paltrow. Hmm. It's an older movie. There's a really wonderful story. There's a great storyline in the book. So he's a, an artist, the, the character. What's his name? Finn, I think. Is that right? That's Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> it might be actually Finn. Seems anyway, Tom? No, that's Tom Sawyer. <laughs> yeah, anyway, he, he's an artist. Mm-hmm. And at some point, he gets this sort of anonymous benefactor that comes into his life gives him like this apartment in downtown New York Mm -hmm. and all the spending money he needs. And this benefactor just says, I just want you to create art. 
and it becomes his art becomes very successful. He becomes kind of the hot thing, but the rest of his life is destroyed by this woman. Hmm. And it's a very complex story. It's really destroyed by the woman's grandmother, the woman he's in love with her grandmother, but she sort of uses the woman he falls in love with as proxy to get revenge on an old lover that the grandmother had. And anyway, his life's destroyed. And I think, you know, when I was younger, I sort of had some romantic thoughts about like, you know, I just want to be a musician. I just want to make, make art. And wouldn't it be great if somebody just removed all of my financial burdens mm. so I could just concentrate on that. Yeah. And I think the story of great expectations is, well, yeah, that's great. And maybe it even works mm. and you become famous, but you don't learn the lessons you need to in the rest of your life. And you get absolutely blindsided and crushed mm. by forces at play that you don't know anything about. And yeah. yeah. No, you see that in the music industry a lot. Like those, those types of stories, like, you know, the benefactor comes and gives the money or provides a thing. And then they end up destroying the person's life. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that there are times when being bailed out, Mm -hmm. having a savior is helpful. Mm -hmm. But if you look to that to solve problems and you probably don't learn the lessons you need to confront the future that you're moving into, yeah, I, I think I, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. Like I, the, it just makes so much sense. Like there's so many times where like, well, if I just had someone who had a hundred million dollars and just like, <laughs> let me have free reign with it, I would right. do amazing things with it. It's like, but the truth of it is you will not No, you know, I, I can now say that with more clarity after like, you know, there's a difference between the Michael who owned one, one coffee shop versus the Michael who owns like seven. It's like, yeah. It's like, I could not have handled that. Mm-hmm. I could not have handled that responsibility. You know, maybe if I was, had people around me that were, you know, helping me through that, that would have been one thing. But it's just that you, you kind of need to be able to function within the responsibility and risk that you have. Yeah. Like if it's a hundred bucks you have to invest, well, or like Austin, he had 250 bucks to invest. It's like, okay, you know, it's a, it is a great ROI, no, but it's a it's a certain lesson that you have to learn with that amount of money, you know. And, right. And when I was thinking about, I don't know why I think about that lottery winning the lottery example a oh, lot. Yeah. About it's such a great one. Why it is that it ruins people's lives, and I thought, oh, interesting. Maybe it's that, you know, if you if I give you, let's say, ten million dollars, <laughs> and everyone knows, right. Mm-hmm. Is your relationship with your parents good enough that if they start coming and asking you for money that you can say no? Mm-hmm. Or does you saying no destroy that relationship? Yeah. And then extend that to the rest of your family and your friends. It's like, does this, does that injection of cash into your life expose all of the other cracks, which are there and sort of functional and holding together, but does it crack them all completely? And then who are you and who are you left with now that all those cracks Hmm. get hammered on? Yeah. Maybe you're left alone. What do you do when you're alone? Well, maybe you start meeting new people, but you don't know these people. Maybe a lot of them end up being predatory Maybe in the times when you're just alone, you start spending money on things you don't need. You try to fill the gaps. Hmm. It's like, that seems like a slippery slope really quickly because it takes like, you know, think about Elon. The man has what? $150 billion. Yeah. Everyone knows who he is. Imagine the amount of people asking him for money. Oh yeah. Pitching him ideas, whatever it might be. Yeah. And he still has the gumption and balls to go on Twitter and like be sarcastic and crack jokes (laughs) at politicians for that matter. You know, it's Uh like (laughs) you don't, you, you, you don't just adopt that overnight and the ability to know who to say no to and how to say no such that the relationship doesn't spiral out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't just get that with the money, but you need that in order to wield the money. Hmm. You know, 
Yeah, I feel like you see this like in a lot of uh, NBA players and and or just professional athletes. You know, whenever they actually make it big. They end up buying you know, their parents, you know, houses and their <laughs> or putting all their friends on payroll. Oh yeah, all their friends on yeah. payroll, like Marky Mark or whatever. Just like the definition be. of the entourage. Yeah, uh-huh. it's just like you all work for me now. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Well, you hang out with me. <laughs> whatever I want you to, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't have good things to do, then maybe that spirals into some sort of like mafia shit situation because. Mm-hmm. People have to do something. That's that creative energy that we all have that you can't turn off. And if it's not well-directed, but it is well-funded, that's going to turn perverse very quickly. It seems like the uh, the more responsibility that you have, the better at saying no you have to be. And I think that is somewhat a responsibility of the government is to say no. You know, even right now with Powell raising interest rates the way he has, he's somewhat kind of saying no for doing this. You want something different? I'm saying no. Hmm. And again, I try to listen to um, a lot of different perspectives on how people view these things. And one person uh, I was listening to, forgot their name, it, uh, was kind of standing up for the Fed. It's like, it's like they're really trying to do the right thing. It's like, are they on all, all the way? It's like, that's, that can be debated, you know? But he was just talking about Powell in particular is sort of like, he is somewhat saying to the economy in general, it's like, no, we're not going to do this. We're going to keep raising interest rates. Now, mm-hmm. whether you can argue like whether that, ha- whether that actually helps or not, doesn't help. I mean, there's part of that too, but I think the more that, the, the moral of what I'm trying to say is that I think that's part of the government's role is to know when, know when to say no. I think that's, that's more important than saying yes. Mm. Especially when you have a government that is the, you know, world, uh, <laughs> uh, world currency. What's it called? World standard. reserve. Yeah. World reserve currency. Yeah. It's like, you, know, you have to be able to say no one to say no. Like, you know, even to things like Ukraine, it's like, yes, that sucks. You know, it's like, but we could just throw thousands and mil- billions and bi- thousands, <laughs> billions and billions, <laughs> literally thousands of dollars. <laughs> billions What's of dollars. The, the recent case. Biden quote, 200 billion, billion, trillion, trillion, $200,000. <laughs> oh yeah. Some, some lady at the, for, for who it was at the times got nailed because she pointed out some of, uh, Biden's sort of verbal, Foo paws that he did. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, they're just getting slammed for it. Like, Cause she, you're hurting her cause. Yeah. You're not allowed to point that out. <laughs> you're not allowed to point that out, which is hilarious. Like, no one needs it to be pointed out. We can all see it. I know. We really all can. It's like, I, it just still baffles me, but that like our late talk show host and Saturday Night Live are not like really jumping on this because it's quite comical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know what Saturday Night Live's doing these days. I haven't watched that in a long time. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I kind of gave up on it. It just seemed like it was it was more of like just Trump bashing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Which he's got, he's, which is, Trump's a fucking hilarious character, which is, oh, he deserves totally, he all deserves of the it. comedy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's great. Trump, <laughs> Trump comedy is some of my favorite comedy. <laughs> because it's all kind of true. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, that's hilarious. All right. Yeah. Let's wrap this one whatever we went with that one (laughs) love you guys cheers Cheers. love you all thanks for being with us